I was really looking for role models everywhere. I would spend hours talking to my friends' parents because my parents didn't have careers. I didn't know what to dream about for myself in the future. Hi, my name is Baba, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Bye Baba podcast, Out of Office, featuring unconventional career paths with influential stories. This podcast aims to rewrite the script in which careers are discussed and how success is defined. Hosted by our very own senior creative manager, Jennifer Passioni. With her international background in editorial and an unconventional career path herself, she asked the most thoughtful and interesting questions. Join us as we sit down to hear firsthand the journeys, lessons learned, and advice from creative forces who manifested their own way. Today I am out of office with our very own Baba Rivera, award-winning brand marketing professional and the founder of Bye Baba, the next-gen brand marketing agency with offices in both New York and Stockholm. Following launching Uber in Sweden, working as head of partnerships for Uber in New York, and a position as director of brand marketing at Away, she set out to merge the gap between the agency world and the uprise of fast-moving, direct-to-consumer brands. Hi, Baba. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited that we get to do this episode together. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So in following in our format for this podcast, I want to start with what you initially wanted to be when you grew up. So I probably didn't have the normal dream as kids have. I I really just dreamed of working in an office setting. I don't know what fascinated me about it, but... I think maybe the aspect that it was a very foreign environment from from my upbringing. Neither my mom or my dad ever worked in anything office-related. So that was just something I would see in the movies. So yeah, I remember as a kid uh, asking my mom for my birthday. I asked her for a briefcase <laughs> with like the post-it notes and things like that. Um, and yeah, lucky me, I received a briefcase and you would find me in my in my room as a kid um, with the briefcase wide open, pretending to to work at an office space. And I was, you know, pretending to talk on the phone, taking notes, putting up post-its on my wall. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I achieved that dream. I do work in an office today. <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be? That is such a tough question um i mean in many ways i feel like i'm exactly at the right place um for my career and the lifestyle that i that i want to live but i do also have so much life lust i was joking with my therapist the other day that i was saying that i could i could see myself living 10 lives simultaneously like i i just have so much that i want to do and so much that i want to experience and so much that i want to explore but of all those multiple lives that i sometimes see myself living in my dreams um there is one thing that keeps coming back to me and it's very different from what I'm doing today. And it's, it's, there is this kind of like inner voice about humanitarian work. And I don't think I've really figured out what that means for me and my life and work yet. But if I wasn't running my agency, I would love to devote myself to something more humanitarian, whether it's helping 
women in developing countries to become independent or to help them set up businesses or to ensure that young girls get education or help fight mental health issues that we're facing so much today or saving dogs in need. I, like there's so many causes and I think probably that's a big part of the the reason I'm, I haven't really dived into anything like this yet because I haven't fully figured out what is which cause is my cause. Do you feel that there's a way that these two areas could coexist, that one could kind of support the other? What you do day to day could also support the humanitarian side. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I, I dream of myself just like getting on a plane and like, I don't know, relocating to Kenya and <laughs> living a very different life, just trying to save the world. But with the platform that we have created with Vibaba for the past two years, I think that there is a, a huge opportunity to leverage that for, for greater good and going beyond the the brand marketing aspect of it. And I think, I mean, we're dipping our toes in it a little bit with Career Day. I mean, this podcast, um, we've done a lot of partnerships with the Lower East Side Girls Club. Um, and they're doing amazing work. So I think that there is definitely a future where those can coexist. Do you feel that growing up either through family, your school, or the culture that was surrounding you in the area in which you lived, that you were taught to follow a more conventional career path? Definitely not from my family. My Because my family never studied, they never really projected much on me. I think I had already surpassed their expectations by just like existing or going to school or like learning how to read, I think. Um, so it was a very freeing environment from that perspective. I whatever grade I would get or whatever drawing I would bring home would be considered a masterpiece or the best thing ever. So I'm realizing now as an adult that that's a very rare upbringing. I think a lot of people grew up with parents who are projecting a lot of their own dreams maybe on their kids. So I'm really grateful for, my, my especially my mom, just letting me explore a lot of different opportunities um, so I felt like I had a very judgmental free home where I could come home and say, I'm going to become a dancer. And my mom will be like, that's great. And then the next day, I'm going to be a veterinarian. She's like, amazing. But I think at the same time, I do remember feeling this void of like a lack of role models that I was really looking for role models everywhere i would spend hours talking to my friend's parents like i was such a weird kid i would go to my friend's house to to hang out and then you would find me in the kitchen with their mom <laughs> um so i think i was always just like very curious about other adults like what did they do because my parents didn't have careers so i didn't know what to dream about for myself in the future and kind of stemming from this over the course of your career journey what was your source of guidance? You know, who did you look to or admire professionally? The first role model I had, I think, was the woman who owned a tea shop that where I did an internship. Um, it was in Sweden. You do an internship when you're like it's called prau, uh, and it's something you do when you're, I think, fourteen, like really young. So most people just do it at their parents' job because 
how are you ever going to get an internship as a 14-year-old? You don't know anyone. But because my parents didn't have a job that I could intern at, I went to my favorite coffee shop and I asked if she wanted, would accept me as her prow. Um, and uh, to my surprise, <laughs> she said yes. And I think she was my first role model, actually. I, um, she was this independent woman running her own tea shop and uh, she drove a really cool car I remember and my mom doesn't have a driving license so for me seeing a woman drive a car was just like mind-blowing and she would come into the shop every morning and like you know do some of the early morning duties and then go and get a blowout in the next door salon and then come back and look beautiful and be a boss so I, I remember being just very fascinated by her uh, was that your first experience with a female owning her own business yeah definitely um yeah the only other like adults in my like purview were either you know cleaning apartments or maybe working in a restaurant kitchen or driving a truck or it was like more uh, not academic works or business related um not really lifestyle jobs um so this was definitely a very different experience for me and I loved her and she hired me I worked there on all my and school breaks and I stayed in touch with her and actually met her recently her daughter lives in New York so she came here and we all had coffee and talked about old memories <laughs> that's so amazing and in what ways do you credit your previous career experience as a form of education for eventually taking on an entrepreneur role yourself yeah I mean the good thing with any work experience is that even if you're, you don't have a managerial role you probably still have a manager and regardless if that manager is good or bad you will either learn how you want to be or how you don't want to be as a future manager yourself um so i i feel like i was like a sponge at all my jobs you know whether it was maikita in berlin or uber first in sweden and then new york and even at away i was just taking notes on dynamics between managers and their their teams and i i feel like i probably learned the most during my four years at uber because i went through so many different phases of the company um, and went from being an individual contributor to having a team um and that was my my first kind of like managerial experience and had to learn by doing <laughs> um yeah it's something that i think about a lot that most most managers actually don't have managerial kind of like education it's a lot of trial and error why do you think that is i think that we don't really get that in school i guess and also even if you were to get that in school it's almost prematurely because you're still getting the ropes of how to even do the task itself so you're not i don't think you're as receptive to what it means to lead when you're so early in your career that you're you're not about to lead anyone anytime soon anyways um and then i think it's it's hard to find good leadership courses i mean as as a founder i would love to have 
leadership training for myself and for for the leaders in, in my team but i don't feel like i've found anyone that really resonates with me and i do have a very different philosophy for leadership i i recognize that i i don't follow the the traditional norm um so i think there is there is an opportunity for kind of like leadership consultants with uh, a more modern take i'm super curious because you've had leadership roles in your previous experiences how has your role as a leader evolved since launching your own agency oh man <laughs> sometimes i think back on like i mean and you know this firsthanded jen <laughs> you're like the first person on the team i can sometimes think back of experiences and how i would react as like an immature leader and i mean i'm still learning and learning to control my emotions but i almost i feel like i blush it's like because it is really a, a trial and error and especially in the beginning you care so much and also everything is at stake there is not that level of comfort that you have time to figure things out when you're starting something you're running against time at all at all time So I I definitely feel like I have matured in that role over the past two years of running the agency. Um, I have been. I feel like I'm trying to go from initially like having people supporting what I do versus now having people leading stuff that maybe I previously used to do. So I think there has been that shift between thinking of your team as like quote unquote assistance versus thinking of your team as a team of leaders um and i feel really proud of that transition i i'm realizing that sometimes leaders get stuck in the in the idea that they have to be the the sole leader and then everyone around them is there to like assist with things versus lead and that's a huge bottleneck And I feel like we have finally kind of like come over that threshold with Baibaba where we have people owning things from start to finish and obviously I'm I'm in the office and I'm available and uh, if anyone has a red flag or is is worried about something I'm here or I love being part of brainstorms and kickoffs um but other than that I feel like the team has really been able to to scale with the company and that's really cool Do you feel that that transition occurred as a result of the team rising above the expectations or also simultaneously you learning to step back or let go of a few things that maybe others could control? What I'm realizing is that you need to create like point of contacts around you that are not you. Um so I think that was like the the step number one is okay, what are some of the kind of like listing for myself whether all this stuff that I'm leading right now what of that has to be me given the the skill sets that the team currently has and what of those things that I'm leading today could actually be led by someone else if I spend enough time teaching them so starting to teach the stuff that's low hanging fruit and I think eventually stepping back and seeing what happens is super valuable and it's scary I was unlucky that my brother passed and i mean it's been a super difficult year and when he passed away at the beginning of this year i remember thinking for myself that okay i have to accept 
the situation and with that I accepted for myself that maybe by Baba would not work that maybe because one thing was for sure and I was it was that I was not able to come back to work I was out of the office for several months and I kind of like made that agreement with myself that I am just going to have to take a, several steps back here and focus on my own well-being and, and my grief and my family. And when I come back, maybe my agency is not what it used to be. And, and that's okay. And to my positive surprise, I came back and, and I felt like the team was stronger than ever. People have really gone into like this family mode, like we're stepping in for each other and filling the gaps and and just really um really being there for me and for each other so as horrible of a year as it's been on a personal level i think it's been an extremely rewarding year from a professional standpoint seeing the team really step step up to rise to the occasion totally i think that moment was a major growth moment for the entire agency yeah i think for you in learning to step back and take time off even. Yeah. <laughs> and I that alone. For the agency seeing everybody realize on things that normally they would maybe come to you for the final answer, knowing that they needed to make that decision themselves and really start leaning in towards themselves and their intuition and you know, looking to each other for for extra support. Yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, you were there, so you know better than anyone. But that's definitely been my uh, perception of it all. And I think when I came back, I also came back more as an observer and a listener versus, okay, now I'm back. So start sending everything to me again. Like, I, I really try to come back and just observe what has happened in my absence and what are the areas that maybe haven't had as much development while I've been out and, and decided to put my effort there uh, versus going back to my old normal. Can we talk about the moment of leaving a traditional job to start your own business? Is there ever a moment that feels like, you know, this is the right time or is there always still an underlying sense of doubt or even fear associated with it? Yeah, I mean, I have two things to just kick off with there. And one is starting your own business is definitely not for everyone. I think that's one thing I've learned during these two years of doing it. It's it's not always such a smooth ride. Um, so definitely not for every single type of persona out there. However, it's also never the right timing. That's truly the one thing I've, I've realized with every single entrepreneur. It's it's never, you're never just going to wake up that one Monday and it's going to be the perfect time for you to go and resign and start your own company. I have yet to hear of a story like that. And for me, it was not great timing. I was about to get married. I had planned a honeymoon. I didn't have any savings. I had spent all my money buying out my stock options from Uber. So I had I was, if anything, I was at minus. <laughs> I did not have any kind of like starting capital. I was also on a visa that was tied to my job. So leaving that job to start something on my own meant a huge risk. There's, there are never any guarantees with visas. What I, what I want to say with that is that 
if you have this kind of like inner voice in you that keeps telling you that you should do your own thing and it just doesn't go away then maybe it's less about waiting in the right time and more so figuring things out like making it work versus waiting for it to happen and with with my decision I, I think the reason I started my company at the worst timing after all was because that was the one time in my career where I really felt like I was no longer heading in the right direction it just intuitively didn't feel right and it was a feeling that I wasn't familiar with because previously in my career I felt very enthusiastic I felt supported I felt like I could if whenever I felt like I was in the wrong role or in the wrong project I was always able to talk to someone in my team or to talk to my manager and and be heard and and, and kind of like have something rearranged um but this time it was different it wasn't about the role itself it was it was me I wanted something else I wanted to start my own company and I had been wanting that for for years there's something there that I could not agree with more and it's the sense that there's no such thing as good timing. Yeah. And I really, really believe it's like an illusion that was created. And I think good timing is really the mask for fear. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times when you hear people saying, oh, well, it's not the right time, it's really just fear talking. And if you're waiting for good timing, you honestly will be waiting forever forever yeah no that's so true and i mean we we do mask our fears all the time and we try to buy ourselves time i don't know for myself i've definitely even with leaving away to to start my own company i mean i could have done that earlier i knew earlier but i was procrastinating it because it was scary i didn't want to go through a visa process and then you start when you start making excuses that are at the level of oh but i have that trip coming up so it's better if i first go on the trip and then i can figure it out or when you start to get logistical like that that's when you're really making up excuses for yourself today's podcast is brought to you by gant an american sportswear brand offering premium clothing accessories and home furnishings born 70 years ago at an american east coast university Gant lives by the credo, never stop learning, an encouragement to stay curious and constantly strive to learn new things. Earlier this year, Gant released Flipping the Ladder, a full-length documentary that sets out to explore a growing trend in today's society by asking the pivotal question, what if the next step in your career isn't up? The documentary follows three professionals who want to take action towards a more meaningful life and gives them the opportunity to try an entirely new career. Inspired by such, Gant is now launching a flip termship at their headquarters in Stockholm. Unlike a traditional internship, the uniqueness is that you can only apply if you have no previous experience within that field. Flipping the ladder and Gant's new initiative, Flip Turnship, set out to question the conventional career ladder and act as a celebration of those who challenge the way we define success in society. You can watch Gant's documentary, Flipping the Ladder, on Gant's YouTube channel. What were some moments of your journey that you felt, you know, really aligned and a true sense that you were heading in the right direction? Yeah, I've had many moments like that in, in my careers. I think also generally I'm a very positive person, so I always try to look for the, the positives in, in, in my surroundings. 
But one moment was definitely at Uber in my early days at Uber. I remember when I joined the company, I at first felt extremely overwhelmed. I was not prepared for the level of workload and fast-paced environment that it was. And working with a U.S. team when you're in Sweden meant working really late nights and accommodating for conference calls at 10 p.m. And it was just like not really what I had expected. But at the same time, I felt this adrenaline, like I I felt so excited about the work we were doing and about the opportunity that I had to to create. I think that was the first time in my career when I felt that I wasn't being held back by anyone. I had a clear run rate and it was up to me what I wanted to do with it. So I think six months into the job was when I finally made that commitment to myself that right now I'm going to focus on my job. And that means I'm going to stop some of my side hustles. That means I am not going to be able to go out and party like Wednesday to Saturday every night like all my other friends in my age. Um, I, I scaled back on a lot of other things. And as a result, I was able to really dive deep into my work and became really good at it. I really, really grew and, and that gave me so much motivation and confidence and yeah, Uber was my life. <laughs> and I'm curious what moment over the course of Bye Baba existing, which is a little bit over two years, did you feel like, okay, we're, this is really something, we're really on to something, um, we're going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, there, there have been so many like proud moments. And I feel like I could start crying just <laughs> listing them. But I think a pivotal moment was our one-year party. That just felt so surreal because as I was writing the the speech for our one year, it, it kind of like creeped up on me that, damn, we've done a lot of really amazing things. And that gave me perspective of what a difference a year makes. On a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, it sometimes feels like you're not really heading anywhere. And then you zoom out a little bit and you look back at the past 12 months and you realize how much you have accomplished. So that was really powerful. And simultaneously seeing a room of, I think we had like 150 people or something, um, who were there to support our little agency just felt super surreal. Um and I think it was around that time, too, that we got some very incredible inbounds. And not just any inbounds, but inbounds from brands that I feel like we had manifested. We were like, oh, going forward, we would love to work with D2C brands like X, Y, and Z. And then they started reaching out to us. That was a, a huge kind of like stamp of approval for me. Whereas previously, I felt like I was always chasing business and I was, you know always stressed with cash flow like paying out salaries on time but well not getting paid on time by clients and yeah the whole uh, the whole chaos of finances (laughs) and I feel like it's so crucial to have a moment of reflection I think that also helps in reassuring yourself that you're going in the right direction I think something that a lot of us on the team have is that we are so future and forward thinking and the catch 22 with that is that we don't 
pause long enough to kind of absorb what we've just done or accomplished. And sometimes when we've compiled it all together and really looked back at what a year has, has meant to us, that's when you really see. And also it's a moment when you're really listening to actually what we've done. No, that is so true. And I mean, that's actually something that I have really learned thanks to the team, I would say, during my entrepreneurial journey with Baibaba is that reminder to take a moment to celebrate and the reminder to take a moment to recognize accomplishments. I am definitely a go, go, go person at heart. So if I don't have team members who hold me accountable to, you know, take a moment of reflection and take a moment of gratitude, I can easily forget. And I think that's another thing that's so important to have an environment where team members feel like they can hold their boss accountable too and not just the other way around. So something I think you do gracefully that um, can definitely be a pain point for women in general is being authoritative and respected without being considered the B word. I think in society, especially in career in general, women in authoritative roles experience this where I feel as though it's something completely relative to females uh, that males don't really have to encounter. How do you kind of navigate this? Yeah, I mean, well, thank you, first of all. It's definitely something that throughout my career has kept me awake at night, I would say, Um, especially when just moving to the U.S. I would sometimes get pulled aside by my managers to, like, go through that email I just sent, Baba. Like, look at this email. And I'll look at it and I'm like, it's a very clear email. (laughs) I'm like, this is perfect in my eyes. The other person knows exactly what I want and what I mean. But I think there is a cultural expectation um, in the United States to be more sugarcoating than I think the Swedish culture is. I think um, I come from a from a work culture in Sweden where being direct is um, is not negative. That's uh, that's being clear, you know, and that's good. Um, so definitely been a, an adjustment phase building up a career in another country where the norms are different and especially for women. I think how I try to balance that is to bring out the various aspects of my personality into my professional self. So being assertive and authoritative or sometimes maybe tough when needed doesn't take away from being silly the next day or being uh, being a clown or being empathetic or provide emotional support when someone needs. So I think what I what I try to do is to bring my my full self to work and not just like now I'm a boss. Um I I think that's how you gain respect too. If you if you can be emotional when appropriate and when you can be assertive when when needed, I think that balance is important. Why do you think females in particular being direct is often seen as negative here? I mean, it's a totally unconscious bias. I think if you would ask someone like, do you think women should be direct or not? Like, 
they would almost laugh because I, I don't think anyone is aw- at least consciously trying to make that difference uh, between expectations on, on women and men. However, it does have to do with history. We, we aren't used to having women in leadership roles. That's a new thing, sadly. So when we step into roles that have previously been dominated by men, we're still expected to be the nurturer and like the more um, the, the stereotypical feminine energy. Um, and I think that's, that's hard to live up to because in certain, in certain situations at work, it's not appropriate to, to just nod your head and be empathetic and, 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 and just be the nurturer. Sometimes you also have to be the leader. And something you mentioned interesting there, I feel like these are roles that were typically dominated by men uh, previously, and now women are slowly, I would say, still, because I think there's so much more to go, entering these roles. With that, though, I think there's also a misconception for these women that they almost need to act as the men who did in the, the roles before them. And sometimes that's not always natural for that person. Do you think there is a one-size-fits-all for a leader, or you think this can can kind of range? I feel like the the first women who kind of like were the first one to take on a male role, if one will, um, kind of had to act as a man in order to to be heard or whatnot, uh, and. Um, but I feel like we're we're stepping into a phase now where with more women leaders opens up more room to be to be the leader that's that comes natural to you. And I think for me, I've definitely neglected some of my more kind of like emotional traits previously in my career because I've I worked in tech. I would look around and I would only see men. So naturally, my inspiration would be very male-dominated. I think now when I look around, and I mean, I'm also the co-founder of Her, which is a female community, and I, I, I got to meet all these super powerful female leaders. I'm getting inspiration from different types of leadership styles. And I think that's extremely needed. And we are able to allow women to be the leader that comes naturally to them, the more women we have in leadership positions. I know there are so many books, lectures, and conferences on the power of saying yes, but can we talk about the importance of the power of saying no? How crucial is it for you to set respective boundaries, both personally and professionally? It's so hard, honestly. It's it's probably the, the one thing I've struggled with the most in my career. I've through therapy, actually, I have realized how big of a problem it was for me. Um, she kind of like, my therapist kind of shed light to the fact that I always have yes as the default answer for myself, unless I have a really good excuse. Like, oh, I'm traveling, so that's why I can't. Or, oh, I'm already booked. But what about, oh, I want to be on my couch. You know what I mean? Like, I, and do I even owe an explanation? So I'm trying to practice that a little bit more where I will, when I get an invitation or I get um, a demand from someone, when someone wants something from me or off me, 
I try to just listen to the first instinct. Is that something that that I intuitively want to do? And if the answer is yes, which honestly, a lot of the, the things that people ask me for, I, I do want to help. I do want to, I would want to grab coffee with all the newly grads that are looking for career advice or whatever it might be. But then I also have to look realistically at my calendar. Am I carving out enough time for me in this week? And the answer there is oftentimes no. So I'm starting to be a little bit more unapologetic about my own needs for well-being. And especially this year because I've, I've not had extra energy to spare. So I've had to be very crucial about where I put my energy and how I preserve it. So yeah, I would say my best advice is really to stop thinking that you have to explain yourself. I think that was the first step for me. Do I want to or do I not want to? And then I can say, oh, thanks for thinking of me. Unfortunately, I can't. And that's it. You don't need to explain that you're traveling or that you have back-to-back meetings or that you wish you could, but X, Y, and Z. You don't. You don't owe it to anyone. Something I mentioned recently that I wanted to work on personally was saying yes to myself the way I say yes to others. Hmm. Because oftentimes it's not at all equal. Not at all. That's and so beautiful. And it's very imbalanced. Um, I think there's also something with when saying no to people, oftentimes you feel a sense of guilt. Something doesn't sit right. So I think there's like two steps to that. One is is really getting the courage and, and really being unapologetic about saying no. And the second part of that is like being okay with it. Yeah. And not having the after feeling. Definitely. I, I think it's like the guilt is definitely something that we create in our head. It's a drama that we start to create in our own heads. I I do think that there is also something about being kind. Um, and, and sometimes being kind means saying no. Because if you're committing to something and you're not going to bring your full energetic self, are you even serving that other person? Probably not. So... Sometimes what I've started to do with, um, you know, emails from people who want to pick my brain or who are launching a company or another female founder who wants to connect with another female founder, whatever it might be, all of those things sound great and are very aligned with my values. But I only have so many hours of the day. And right now I'm in a very challenging um, situation managing two offices a big team while going through grief so I also have to cut myself some slack so what I started to do is asking exactly what is it that they need help with opening myself up to help in a different way maybe me helping them is not necessarily grabbing a coffee maybe me helping them is hearing what they have to say over email and then connect them to someone who can bring a much better version of themselves than I'm able to do right now. Totally. I think that's amazing to differentiate as well. We were recently talking over lunch about the definition of success and how basically the root of that definition is happiness, but oftentimes it's it's really masked with uh, materialistic, sometimes superficial milestones. How would you personally define success? I think success is a feeling. It's not a destination. Um, it's a feeling that needs to be like continually invested in in order to preserve it. And it's a feeling of ease. 
if you are successful you should feel at ease you should not feel like you're fighting the world you should not feel like you should not feel defeated you should not feel unhappy and i think that's something that we can all check in with ourselves on how am i feeling right now okay maybe society tells me that i'm successful on paper but do i feel successful do i feel at ease do i feel like my life is easy that my life is fun is this something you feel you have reached or do you feel that we ever reach this maybe it's continuous it's definitely a continuous um, journey overarching i do feel an immense sense of gratitude for what i have and i i do feel successful in the sense that i i feel happy i feel grateful i feel challenged um i feel in control i don't feel helpless and but that feeling is not constant <laughs> there are definitely weeks where i sometimes feel trapped in my own schedule i sometimes feel trapped in my own success i feel trapped in my own company so it's something that i have to work on continuously and making sure that i am carving out the right amount of time for myself or for replenishing my energy um and doing things that bring me joy not always necessarily doing things that will bring me results i think keeping that balance between being joyful and being result driven for you what was a pivotal moment in your career i think i have to say the moment that i moved to new york because that opened up so many doors and on many ways i feel like i start on a blank canvas. I I came to New York. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a single contact to even <laughs> grab a coffee with or pick someone's brain. So, very lonely from that perspective, but at the same time challenging in the best possible way. It was really kind of like putting a little baby fish out in the ocean and see if it swims and Yeah, so I think that was definitely a pivotal moment where I had to I had to restart. I had to start from scratch. Everything that was easy in Stockholm was now a new chapter. Um and as a result it it opened up so many doors for me and many important friendships and relationships both professional and personal. Over the course of your career, what is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? I receive a lot of good career advice from my husband actually. Um he's definitely been someone who has helped me broaden my horizon. Um I I actually think sometimes of like my life as pre and post meeting Carl and and before meeting Carl I wasn't I I dreamed very narrowed. Like my dreams were very very small and I was very afraid of losing the little things that I had. And then I met Carl who has an extremely optimistic and positive point of view on life that was so freeing and and he always told me when I was worried about something or you know being stressed about certain decisions he was always asking me what's the worst thing that could happen. And he would force me to write it down. And once you put it on paper you're like that's it? Like that's not that bad like okay if i ask for 
this relocation or if I ask if I can be on that project, what's the worst thing that can happen? But they say no and then I'm still where I am now. You know what I mean? Oftentimes we realize that these fears are creating a very unproportional sized fear in our own heads. I love that. And I think there's something to physically writing it down and yeah. and seeing it. Um, it almost diminishes it a little bit, that fear. Yeah. And almost, you almost let it go too because you, you took it from your body and your brain down to the paper and now it's the paper's fear. It's not my fear. Exactly. And finally, you are out of office. What do you do with your day? Ideally, I go upstate to upstate New York with my dog, have her run off the leash in the grass and yeah, just read a book, listen to a podcast, take a, take a swim. Yeah, being in nature, that's definitely what I crave the most these days. Thanks for joining my conversation with Baba. You can follow her on Instagram at Baba, along with the agency at buy.baba. Thanks again for tuning in to the Out of Office podcast. Hit subscribe to keep up with us, and of course, rate or share with a friend. Out of Office is not just a conversation with our guests. It's also a conversation with you. Send us your career questions to hotline at buybaba.com and we'll answer them in our upcoming episodes. This podcast was produced by Tinka Media and music was brought to you by Blue Dot Sessions.